It's been a month and a half since Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke was convicted of murder for killing 17-year-old Laquan McDonald. He's being held in a jail three hours west of Chicago as he awaits sentencing. That likely won't be until the new year. In the meantime, there's been a separate criminal case moving forward, one involving three officers facing trial for their actions after the shooting. Prosecutors brought the charges last year. Good afternoon. I'm here to announce the indictment by a special grand jury of three current or former Chicago police officers. Officers Joseph Walsh and Thomas Gaffney and Detective David March have been charged with obstruction of justice, official misconduct, and conspiracy to commit both of these offenses. These charges are brought in connection with the police-involved shooting of Laquan McDonald in October of 2014. This indictment alleges that these defendants lied about what occurred during a police-involved shooting in order to prevent independent criminal investigators from learning the truth. The indictment makes clear that it is unacceptable to obey an unofficial code of silence. Van Dyke's trial was about his decision to shoot McDonald and the moments leading up to it. This trial, starting Monday, will focus on what happened in the hours after the shooting. There was a machinery in place by which these stories disappear. The code of silence was instantly put into full effect. He leaves them no choice at that point but to defend themselves. It is his tendency to ignore. If you would have had officers who would have stood up and said exactly what happened, we wouldn't even have to get to this point. They always going to protect their brother. I'm going to assume that if I go to the scene, the officer was doing his job. It is a tendency to deny. If it wasn't for the video... You would have all these officers in these reports saying, well, he continued to try to get up. He he kept coming at him. Not a single police officer on the scene said anything that can be reconciled with the video. I've never been involved in a situation where I've been peer pressured by bosses to say something. This is, this is not, this is insane. You are conditioned to never, ever go against another officer. From WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune, this is 16 Shots, the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. I'm Jen White. In the hours after the shooting, the three officers charged in this case, Thomas Gaffney, Joseph Walsh, and Detective David March, they gathered with Van Dyke and other officers at a police station on the city's south side. Prosecutors say they were in a room together. They discussed the shooting and they watched the dashcam video. Former Chicago police officer Lorenzo Davis says a meeting like this is typical after police shoot someone, but he says it shouldn't be. Witnesses should be separated. Davis spent more than two decades with the department rising to become a commander. What police are interested in is that they don't contradict one another. If there is some contradiction, they want to ensure that that contradiction is explained or eliminated before the investigation is concluded. Davis got a law degree, left the police department, and later went to work for a city agency that investigates shootings by officers. I supervised a team of roughly six investigators. He says he's investigated at least two dozen shootings by officers during his career. We showed him police reports filled out by Van Dyke, Walsh, and Gaffney. 
Okay, I've had, I have here the tactical response report. Three of them filled out by... Prosecutors the say those reports will play a central role at trial. Davis picks up one form. It has about 100 checkboxes. They have a box entitled assault, and they also have a, a box for a battery. In Illinois, there's no battery unless the offender makes physical contact or causes a physical injury. There's no evidence Laquan McDonald touched or injured the officers. But Van Dyke, Walsh, and Gaffney each checked the box, indicating the teen had committed battery and that he attacked with a weapon. That would be incorrect to say that they were victims of a battery if nobody was touched or, you know, attacked or injured. And Davis points out that several officers used the same language, the exact same phrase even, to describe what McDonald was doing right before he was shot. Davis flips through the paperwork. See Van Dyke swinging knife. Who is this? Walsh swinging knife. And Gaffney, yeah, swinging knife. To use the same expression to me would indicate that they discussed what would go on these reports before they were done. That swinging, just like the supposed battery, the dash cam video doesn't show those things happening. But Detective March, the third defendant in next week's trial, he concluded that all the accounts by the officers were consistent with the video. Defense attorneys insist the police reports do not prove a conspiracy or any crime at all. Attorney Todd Pugh said at a hearing last month there was nothing wrong with that meeting in the police station or with the officers coordinating how they'd handle the situation. Those factors are what occurs in every single major crime that occurs in this city, and it occurs at every single police department in this state and in this country. This is not evidence of an agreement. This is typical standard operating procedure of what occurs in the wake of a major crime. Pugh said the defendants had, quote, a good case with a little bit of bad paper. The concept of a police code of silence is nothing new, but proving its existence is tough, and that's what Terry Eckel did. Eckel was the lawyer on a landmark case of a bartender who was beaten by an off-duty cop. In that case, the jury found there was a code of silence within the Chicago Police Department to cover up officer misconduct. We wanted to understand how the code of silence is likely to play out in this trial, where the officers are charged with obstruction of justice, official misconduct, and conspiracy. So we called him up and started by asking about the alleged conspiracy. The real key to the understanding of the conspiracy charge, it's not the commission of the offense. It's an agreement to commit a specific offense. That's where this case gets interesting, because I think it's important to understand A conspiracy is not necessarily the same thing as the code of silence. So in the case of a code of silence, what you're really saying is there need not be an agreement. An officer is just going to go ahead and do it on his own. And if, for example, you have three three defendants in this case, if all three of them just went ahead and did what they thought they needed to do without some form of an agreement with the other officers or other policemen, then you would have difficulty proving up the, uh, the conspiracy charge. Now, when you look at the evidence, I think what is 
probably the best evidence the prosecution's going to have is to show a commonality of acts among the three defendants. For example, if you have all three officers doing police reports that are all false and they contain virtually the same verbiage, same description of the event, to the point where it appears that they were done together or in collaboration with another person, then you're getting significant evidence that there was a conspiracy. If these officers are found guilty, what kind of time might they be facing? I mean, we've been talking about the conspiracy charge, but they are charged with obstruction of justice and official misconduct. Official misconduct is actually a class three felonies where the sentence could be two to five years in the penitentiary. Conspiracy is actually a lower class of felony, a class four, which is one to three. Terry, what strategy might the defense take in this case? I think they'll take they'll they'll take the strategy to begin with that um, there was no evidence of a conspiracy. These were just officers doing their job. Um, there's no evidence that they sat down and discussed filing false police reports. That would really be the defense toward the conspiracy. As it relates to the obstruction and the official misconduct, um, you know, I just think they're going to have a real hard time overcoming the physical evidence in the video and then trying to explain how you could put certain things in police reports, which is so obviously contradicted by the, um, by the video itself. So um, I'm not sure how much of a defense they're going to put on, to be honest with you. Terry Eckel, thanks for speaking with us. You're welcome, Jen, anytime. All defendants present on bond, you can all be seated. Last week, the defendants had their final hearing before the trial starts. All right, so one at a time then. For Mr. March, you filed a a defendant demanded trial, right? Yes, Judge. So are you continuing in that demand? Yes. Bench or jury indicated? indicated. Will Calloway was in the courtroom watching. You've heard from him throughout this podcast. He helped lead efforts to get the video of the shooting of Laquan McDonald released. After the hearing, our reporter Patrick Smith talked to him in the courthouse lobby. So uh, this is the final status hearing before the conspiracy trial starts. Why is this trial important to you? A couple things. I think, of course, thorough justice for Laquan McDonald, because if you would have had officers who would have stood up and said exactly what happened, um, we wouldn't even have probably had to get to this point. Um, I think that this has to deal with the blue code of silence. Um, I mean, for years, we've seen Chicago Police Department in the community, we've been saying that they've been covering up. And it's just this time we finally are able to hold officers accountable. Callaway was one of the few spectators in the courtroom that day. When the trial actually starts, we aren't expecting the same size of crowds that were at the murder trial. And there likely won't be as big of a media frenzy as there was for Van Dyke. But Christy Lopez says this trial could be key to how the country thinks and talks about policing going forward. Lopez worked in the Civil Rights Division at the U.S. Department of Justice until last year. I don't want to discount the importance of the Van Dyke trial or the Van Dyke uh, verdict. I think it was incredibly important. But in some respects, I think this phase is more important because if we didn't have people willing to cover up for bad officers, we wouldn't have bad officers. 
Lopez worked on the team that investigated the Ferguson, Missouri Police Department, and she's worked on investigations into other law enforcement agencies, including Chicago's police department. She says the code of silence was an issue in most, if not all, the places she's investigated. And when you talk to people in communities, they often feel more betrayed, and it does more to undermine the legitimacy of police when there are officers on the scene who don't don't tell what happened. And Lopez hopes police officers will be watching this trial, not just in Chicago, but across the country. I hope it sends a message to officers everywhere that it's not worth their careers and it's not worth their integrity to cover up for someone who's violated someone else's rights. Opening statements are scheduled for Monday. And we'll be there, and we'll be reporting when there are major developments. Estimates are the trial will only last a few days, so check back soon. 16 Shots is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune. You can find out more about the case at wbez.org slash 16shots. Now, more than ever, facts matter. That's why the journalists at the Chicago Tribune are committed to quality journalism, relentlessly pursuing the truth, and providing you with the stories that impact your community, as well as your daily life. Get fact-based journalism and support the future of investigative reporting, like 16 Shots, by subscribing to the Chicago Tribune today. Visit chicagotribune.com slash 16shots for a special subscription offer just for listeners of this podcast.